I had this kind of moment of realization in the car on the way back that I'm going to have to retrain my brain that it'll be okay to go into the world again at some point soon. Yes. And that was a little interesting to think about. I mean, you've obviously been, I don't want to jump in the show too soon, but you've, you've had the, the shop open, but I've, I have had no excuse or no reason to leave the house. I work at home. I'm here all the time. And so that was very, when I went into the room to get the vaccine and it was, busy. I mean, it was like walking into a bar. Uh, it was it was overwhelming. I mean, in yeah. a good way, but uh, still like overwhelming. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, where we interview the coffee professionals of the West Coast and get a little coffee smarter in the process. Today's guest is Jason Simpson. He is the owner and founder of Camp Coffee in downtown Oceanside, California. His shop is a stone's throw from the famous Oceanside Pier, and it opened just six months before the pandemic hit. Jason is the first cafe-only, no-roastery owner invited on this show, and that wasn't by accident. In my pre-pandemic visits to the cafe, I always left impressed by the quality of the experience, and honestly, I just liked the vibe. And the coffee was good. Follow any of the shop's social media channels like at WeAreCampCoffee on Instagram and you'll get a sense of the atmosphere there. Inclusive, diverse, and celebratory. The team takes pride in their work, in their friendships, and in the coffee that they make. The photographs, many from photographer Will Lefevre, are a true slice of downtown Oceanside life. Will, I'm sorry if I butchered your last name there. Like several of the roasters and coffee pros who've already appeared on this show, Jason really got his start with Starbucks. He just did it 20-odd years ago. He grew up with the company and made the most of the opportunity to learn. And then, for some reason known only to entrepreneurs and restaurateurs, he left the stability and regular paycheck to forge his own path. Jason and I recorded this interview in early April. I had just gotten my first vaccine shot about an hour earlier, and truthfully, I was working through a lot of emotions from that. Talking to Jason, it was easy to see how he would be great in his role at the top. He was grounded, thoughtful, and calm, and that made me calm. I hope you enjoy this show, and afterwards check out the recap and column on RoastWestCoast.com where you'll find more details on Camp Coffee and some of the topics that come up in the show. And now, it's time to fill your coffee cup, because it's time for the show and this interview with Jason Simpson of Camp Coffee. So I want to, Jason Simpson, welcome to the Roast West Coast podcast. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I wanted to start with just, uh, you are the first um, non-coffee roaster that's a cafe owner on the show. So I've had a, a couple other coffee adjacent pros, but you are the first cafe owner to be in season two. I think Alden from Cafe La Terre in Solana Beach uh, did a quick guest appearance uh, as the the manager of, of a place, but but you're the first. So that's that's kind of cool. Awesome. I wanted to know, to, I guess to start, let's uh, introduce you to the audience. Um, who are you and, and where you're from and a little background about, about you? Yeah. Well, first of all, Ryan, thanks for having me. You know, I, uh, as, so I'll tell you a little bit about myself. So again, my name is Jason Simpson. I I'm the owner of Camp Coffee in downtown Oceanside. Uh, we've been open now for a year and a half. We opened in September of 2019. My history in coffee actually started back in the mid-90s after college. Uh, I got a job with 
Starbucks, which surprisingly was pretty small back then. They had been, they'd only been in San Diego for about four years. And, you know, it was, I was really just admired the barista craft uh, during my, my college years. And so I just kind of jumped into it. And I would say as much as I loved coffee at the time, you know, over my two plus decades at Starbucks, it just kind of continued to fuel my passion. So I did everything from operations, uh, both at a store level, district level, did a lot of retail training, spent six years in Seattle in coffee and tea engagement. And yeah, decided to leave in 2017 as I was realizing I wasn't getting any younger. And if I was going to do something, it was time to jump in. So I think the opportunity kind of presented itself that way and uh, kind of began the quest back in 2017. And then we end up opening just about two years after uh, starting the work on, on camp. Was there a first coffee way back in the day? Like I know you started at Starbucks, but was there a first kind of coffee experience that you thought, oh, this is something that I'm, I'm excited about or I'm passionate about? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. So like a turning point for me, I mean, there was, there was a couple. I mean, I think the, the experience of, of coffee began with my parents. I mean, they were just daily coffee drinkers. You know, they had their, they had, uh, I mean, the most, most recent one I remember is their, their bun brewer. But I also remember, and that's where camp kind of, I think, started as well, was the percolator. My, my parents had this old uh, Datsun camper, and we would go camping quite a bit. And my parents would put on the percolator in the morning, and I, I just was always mesmerized by not only the intense aroma of coffee, but the sound of it. It was very relaxing. Anyway, I, I just, those are an early, uh, kind of an early moment, memory, but as I kind of fast forward into my kind of teen and early 20 years, I actually have a few coffee shops that pop in my head when I was thinking about those kind of like experiences of coffee. Uh, I used to spend a lot of time in a place downtown San Diego called Cafe Luna. Uh, it was right by Horton Plaza. And what I remember about that place is that they... Uh, would serve coffee. They would do their brewed coffee through the espresso machine. Like I think it was just a long pour, something like that. But it was very textured, had a lot of sediment and stuff, and I thought it was really cool. I also uh, spent a lot of time at Gelato Vera uh, in Mission Hills, kind of down the hill there, close to the airport. Uh, and then also the Grove Cafe, which is was uh, at the time at UCSD uh, when I went there. I just, I mean, I just loved coffee. I loved the barista craft. I never thought necessarily I was going to be a barista because I was going to school for many things uh, that necessarily didn't include being a barista. But after college, like I said, I just, I saw opportunity and, you know, jumped in and fell in love with it and continue to love coffee. And, you know, I think my biggest thing is, is the more time I spend in coffee, the less I realize I know. And there's just so much to learn. It's it's really fun. I love I've loved the journey over my my 25 years or so. Was there ever a point, kind of in the early days? And I grew up in hospitality as well, and I've certainly had this where you thought, okay, well, I'm I'm a barista now, but I'm going to move on to a real job someday and do something else. Like this isn't what I'm going to do, but this is what I'm doing now, and I love it. But someday I'm yeah. going to get a real job. Was there ever that kind of emotion? No, because I, I actually came into Starbucks as a manager. So I had I had a lot of retail experience through high school and college. And so when I got out, I was kind of looking for the real job. And at the time, people actually, it was more like people around me 
couldn't believe that I was leaving this established uh, department store I was working at the time to go work for a coffee company, you know, and again, that just showed how small Starbucks was at the time that I would, I would leave to go work for Starbucks, but you know, it was great. I mean, I, I loved it right away. I mean, Starbucks was, you know, Starbucks was really different back in the nineties and we still had, we still had La Marzocco's and, you know, it was, it was fun. I mean, I loved it. So I would say for me, just jumping in, it was like, wow, I actually get to go kind of go reverse. I get to have a career and then I get to play with coffee too. And that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I thought hospitality for a long time because I grew up in it and thought I didn't want to do it. And then all of a sudden later in life, I kept finding myself back in that, in that world, either running a restaurant or in a bar or something and just going, you know, like this is so much more fun than the real jobs that I've had. Yeah. More stressful too, but still a lot more fun. So in 2017, you started thinking about camp in 2019 ish, you open if I'm getting that timeline, right. And you decide to open and you are offering uh, bird rock coffees, local classic local coffee roaster, which I think you guys stick with pretty exclusively. Is that right? Yes, they are our exclusive roaster. Is there a reason for that, that you decided, well, these are the guys that I want to be representative of? I mean, you you are an extension of their brand because you, yeah. cause that's the exclusive. Uh, what made you want to feature them and and why did you decide that it's it was good for your shop? Yeah, great question. Um, so, I mean, first of all, there are a lot of coffee companies that I admire that I considered going with. And um, when I was looking... When I was first considering opening, uh, I really loved the idea of the multi-roaster. Um, that was actually initially what I wanted to do. I had this you know, whole idea about kind of focusing on maybe you know, ro- you know, four of my favorite like, like Southern, Southern California roasters. But at the end of it is I was kind of doing more work and deciding what I wanted to do. When I looked at the flavor profiles that I wanted to use, um, you know, one thing I, I've known from Bird Rock as being a customer there's for many years was consistency and quality. And you know, I think one is that is why I landed with them is they they had an established they had been around for over ten years at that point, and um, you know they were they were local San Diego roaster. I was familiar with them. I trusted them, and the flavor notes that I was looking for were with them. And what's interesting is the an extension of the brand, yes, meaning I definitely believe in their quality. Now I do not use the same coffees that they use. For example, I don't use monkey bite for my espresso. I actually use their darkest coffee that they have, which is French roast, you know, which is different. So I was looking for something that had a lot more of like middle notes, molasses, dark chocolate, uh, not necessarily so much fruit. And so I mean that's why I end up going with that that particular blend for that. And then we, we use a, a darker, medium dark Colombian coffee for our everyday brew. So a little bit different, you know, I, I was really looking for something coming from someone who loves light roast, but also appreciates darker roast. I wanted to find something that when customers came in and they were on either the lighter side or the darker side, they could still appreciate what I had to offer. And that's, that's really what I feel like my partnership with Bird Rock showcases. I'm just guessing here, but I think by being by choosing that and deciding to commit to it for a longer period of time, it would make it easier to become more consistent with your barista's skill sets as well. They get used to working with a certain coffee, and obviously every roast has its own little unique things, but if you're using kind of roughly the same roast from the same roaster, over time you would learn kind of the nuances of it a little bit better and, and how to 
craft that coffee into a drink. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is challenging because, um, you know, even, even the coffee I went with is not one of their suggested uh, roasts for espresso. It changes the, the French roasts, but they've done, they've done a great job working with me. Um, but seasonality, probably in the last year and a half, we've changed the, the blend probably six times. It's pretty consistent in terms of the flavors, but like, for example, we, we, it just got updated again within the last month. And there's definitely some, some differences that we're having to adjust to, you know, play with a little bit, but it's great. I mean, if I, for myself as a, as the owner and kind of, you know, as a, as a coffee drinker, I love it. And I don't get a lot of negative feedback about the coffees that we offer, which, which is nice. One thing that I've realized doing this show that I just don't think I thought about as a customer is how like a house coffee, for example, if you're using like the French roast as your regular kind of, that's the, the one that you're using in your espressos, that coffee in the spring may not be exactly the same in the fall. And as a customer, you just, you see the name and you go, oh, it's the same thing. It's always going to be the same and exact because we've learned that in other industries, but with coffee being a, you know, an agriculture product, you know, those things change based on the weather and the season. And, and yes, the name on the bag is the same, but the flavor might not always be exact, which I just think is a really uh, interesting thing to think about. I, I just, it's not something I thought of before I really started examining different coffee shops and roasters and, and how that might change uh, the expectations uh, as a customer. As a customer, in my personal experience, uh, I've been in your shop and I've been kind of following your camp coffee story on social media and everything. You have a very welcoming environment. It, it feels, everyone says that like coffee is a community and, you know, it's, it's a, we want people to feel like they're part of the co- the family here, but yours really does do that. And you use your platforms to, to show that. I mean, if I go on camp coffee, uh, we are camp coffee on Instagram. It's not just pictures of, you know, different cups of coffee. It's pictures of people in the community that are coming into your shop that are doing their own things. You've really embraced and supported an effort to improve diversity and equality kind of both in Oceanside and in the coffee industry. Was that an intentional effort to create that welcoming space or a byproduct of the people on your team? Was it a a philosophy you had? How did that kind of culture come about? Well, I think what's important is when you're creating a company, I mean, starting with a vision, what at the end of the day you want to be known for and measure yourself against is the most important. I mean, even so, I mean, even, even more so today based on what we're all dealing with. Um, and for us, it was creating a vision. So our vision is about service. I mean, I know there's a lot of great coffee. I mean, between living in Southern California and the Northwest, you know, I've had, you know, an experienced amazing coffee by many different companies I think some of them also do a really great job at service and some of them don't. And for me, you know, I am probably, I mean, I don't know the average age of coffee shop owners, but I kind of jumped into it, you know, more in my middle life. And for me, service is, is the most important. And so we created a vision around making sure that our customers feel valued and appreciated for coming in. And so that really is like the North star for us. And when we're interviewing I mean, that is what we're talking about is, is, is really, you know, that that is the most important. And through our journey, I mean, we also have brought in majority of people with little to no coffee experience and which is good and bad. I mean, 
you, I'm sure any coffee shop owner, when they bring folks in that have other coffee experience, I mean, they have coffee experience from somewhere else with different philosophies and, you know, different expectations and different opinions. So for us, a blank slate was almost better. But back to your question is, you know, for us, it was around the vision. So everything that we do is around that. I think the, ex- the experience that you're referencing, say, through social media, specifically through Instagram, Facebook, you know, a big part of that and shout out is to my wife. So she, she has a full-time job, but my wife is, she is the mastermind behind our social media and, and she pretty much does, you know, 95% of what's on there. And so that's really a representation of her interpreting. Um, I think what's really important, the community side in terms of getting involved or bringing people in showcasing stuff. I mean, that really a lot is, is her, you know, taking that vision and then putting it out through, you know, kind of through the airway. So to me, it's really about that. I mean, the people that we hired, then it becomes a reflection of, you know, there then became a reflection of, of what that vision is. And then, our, you know, as we're showing up every day, trying to create that experience for folks, I mean, that that's what it is. That's how we measure ourselves. I mean, coffee, I mean, coffee is, I mean, you can get really great coffee in a lot of places, but I think the service piece of it is something that we all still can continue to strive and improve on. I mean, anywhere in any industry, including coffee. Yeah. And I will say for anyone listening, the We Are Camp Coffee Instagram is really great just from a photography standpoint. So you should definitely check that out. And a lot of fantastic black and white street photography. That's part of that, of what's going on, not just inside the walls, but on the sidewalk and around around the neighborhood. I think it can be easy. Yeah. Right. And if I... I'm sorry. I was just wanted. To, I just wanted to jump in because you. Uh, besides my wife, I did want to give a shout out then too. You're you're mentioning the photography that we use. So we we use a gentleman uh, named Will. So he's he's put on. He takes most, if not all, of the kind of still photos. And you know he's been with us since the beginning. And he's a he's a local San Diego photographer. And you mentioned the candids and the black and whites, and that's really what I was attracted to when I saw his own work was, you know, him capturing that in the community, both like within the shop itself. And then just as you go broader and broader out in Oceanside and, you know, we're really happy with what we've seen. So anyway, thanks for bringing that up. I just want to make sure I acknowledged him for, for his work. Yeah. And I've featured some of his photos in some of my own work uh, with the coast news and, and some other places, because it's, it's just really a really unique look at Oceanside. I think on this note, talking about social media and the community, it can be easy for businesses to take a passive voice, like with social and political issues. Uh, it can be risky to chance kind of offending people. As the leader of a business in in Oceanside, which has a very vocal component on all sides of the fence, uh, how do you navigate the messaging that's mm-hmm. coming out of there when confronted with those? You've, you've certainly taken some stands uh, over the past year, year and a half. Not stands, but just so much of saying, hey, we, we are supportive of these social issues or of these these things. Uh, this is something I've thought about a lot over the past you know couple of years, just about what I would do in a situation like the George Floyd protests, which we're now seeing uh, the trial of or around COVID. How do you, as the owner of a restaurant or as a cafe who wants to just give people a great service experience and a great coffee, navigate kind of those... I mean, minefields really from a business standpoint, but also a personal ethos. Yeah, that's, that definitely is, can be a, a, a challenging situation. And I think for us, I mean, we, you mentioned, you know, some of the, maybe some of the posts or some of the opinions that we've shared. 
you know, I wouldn't say that we're, we're over the top. I mean, at the end of the day, we go back to the vision. Our goal is to be inclusive to everyone um, and balancing out, you know, trying to support customers kind of no matter what their particular opinions may be uh, is, is really what you'd like to do. Um, but sometimes you do cross paths with what your own personal beliefs are. Um, I also think within the staff itself, I mean, you know, some, some of your, some of your employees, some of my employees, you know, are aligned with most of the things that, you know, we've shared. Some disagree. Does it make them any less of a, a person or employee? No. But I think we, we are really careful in terms of kind of assessing each particular situation and those that we feel like we need to, you know, share something or, you know, we put out an opinion or a view, you know, we've done that. But I think we also, you know, realize with it comes risk. And, you know, we've experienced the same type of loss in terms of whether it be, you know, customers themselves, followers on, on social media. But I think, you know, you have to determine, you know, is it worth the risk? Is it more important to let know that let people know what's, what's the most important for, thing for you as a business and, you know, in those particular situations, we've definitely shared, shared those opinions and, you know, there's, there's been some fallout, but for the most part, I think that people, you know, I think no matter what side you're on, those customers that maybe have a different opinion still value the fact that you put yourself out there and are committed to share what's important to you. I think if, you know, you think about the history of coffee shops, I mean, that's, that's one of the things where people come in and I mean, it is a place where there is dialogue and conversation you know, less kind of current currently inside shops, but but really the the whole premise of it is coming together and be able to talk and share. And I mean, I I feel like for the most part, through all the things that we've experienced in our first year and a half, it's definitely been more positive than negative. So I don't necessarily know that we would would change course on what we're doing right now. I would say that you know we always look for different ways to get involved. I think for the the most important thing is trying to stay positive and focused on those things where we can contribute uh, around the things that are important to us. Uh, and that's something as I look, you know, moving forward is continuing to do that, supporting my community, getting my team involved with supporting the community so that they know that we are part of it and not just a business sitting within the community. You referenced um, not inside, and obviously we're talking about COVID. Besides the obvious pandemic, which the extent of it and the length of it has certainly taken us all by surprise. It's like this long, slow wave of surprise where we just keep keep uh, wondering, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Has anything kind of stood out to you as a surprise about being the owner of a coffee shop? And then what do you kind of envision for the future of Camp Coffee as we are starting to transition into hopefully a new, uh, safer uh, COVID phase? Yeah, that those are those are good questions. Um well, I think one is if, if in terms of learning about kind of what I've learned, I mean, one is the cost of opening a coffee shop. As much as I surrounded myself or I thought I surrounded myself with enough people with, you know, with some level of expertise, whether it be within coffee or within business, you know, the startup cost going into kind of a, an empty building was significant. So, you know, for me, you know, really learning the cost of things um, beyond kind of my experience in, you know, working for a, a coffee corporation, you know, that continues to sometimes to really surprise me. And I, I'm one that's very diligent in terms of doing my homework. And sometimes I feel like I, I hadn't done enough homework, but, you know, but with it, you just kind of learn and then you move forward. So, you know, that's, that's one. 
in terms of moving forward, I mean, I, I feel like I've been a little bit on a pause. So I had a whole business plan of what it was going to look like in my first six months. And then literally at the six month mark in March of 2020 is when, you know, when we started to shut down. And so I've, I've definitely been in a survival mode, um, really looking, you know, whether it be from, you know, labor, kind of balancing out, supporting the team that I have, but at the same time, trying to be responsible with uh, financially with the business and just kind of getting through it. And so for me, I'm just trying to now step away, hopefully and get back to the things that I want to do, which is add some, some additional supervisor labor so that I can step away and focus on driving the business and really creating what the business is going to look like moving forward. You know, and a lot of it is just allowing the team that I have been working with to do their job more because I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm there like six days a week, which isn't really uncommon, but really having, you know, having the, the mental and physical energy to be able to work on other things is really where I want to get to so that I can build a business, you know, build more relationships. There's so much, you know, kind of development, as I said before, I mean, from a community involvement, there's a lot more things that we want to do there, you know, strengthening a lot of, of the kind of the marketing piece and just kind of grow the business beyond within the, the shop that we have. So that's, that's kind of the short term goal. I also am looking forward to experience the somewhat our first summer. So, you know, not, you know, experiencing our first summer and shutdown was, was nothing like I know Oceanside is used to. So I'm looking forward to, to having, you know, having a, a summer, um, spring has already been really great. So I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for what we've experienced so far. So anyway, I would say that that is somewhat as I look to the future is, is just been able to kind of shift a little bit of my energy of just the managing side and more of leading and building the business into kind of what's next. Was it a tough transition from employee to owner for you just from the standpoint or did it, did it feel like it was just natural because that's where you were at in your life? It was natural. I, I would say what's nice is the, the roles that I had at Starbucks uh, from being a store manager to a multi-unit manager training and coffee, I feel really balanced with the experience I had. So I think as I looked at all of that, you know, when I moved back to San Diego 10 years ago, I think I was already in this space of like, well, what's next then? Like, you know, I, I was in, I was kind of did what I thought I was going to do for a long time, which was in, in the coffee department. We moved back to Southern California um, to be with our families. And with that being, you know, kind of said, it was, it was mainly just finding the right time to do it. And so, you know, I think it took me a little bit longer than I did. I'm Like I said, I, I was, I was, I like the stability of what I had, but the time was right. Yeah. And it, and it worked out really nice. I think uh, it was fun learning a lot of things, finding the right resources to use and to, to support me in that uh, was pretty, was pretty easy. And that, I, you know, I felt like that was a, that was a huge benefit was just surrounding myself with the right resources and people to help kind of give me the confidence to, to do that work. You know, and so far it's paid off. I'm really happy with where we're at. Yeah, that's cool. But I, I'm sure there was there was moments where you thought, you know, I'm leaving this good job to take this risk where I'm responsible, and that can always be stressful. What about you? If you're if you're not on that seventh day of the week where you're not at Camp Coffee, you have a chance to go out and get a cup of coffee somewhere else. What are you drinking? What you know? If you walk into some unknown coffee shop, what do you order? Well, first of all, on the seventh day, I'm hibernating in my closet. <laughs> Let me just be clear, okay? I'm I'm, I'm hiding out. I'm I'm, I'm I'm doing I'm doing what I what I need to do to get back to the next week. No, um, 
It depends. It's it's interesting that question because I would my my drink of choice is usually uh, a cappuccino or a cortado, but I also love pour over. And so I think it depends on the shop if I may may have heard of them or if I ask some questions about what they're offering and they have pour over and something looks interesting to me, then I might try that. Uh, but I would say my go-to is, you know, is a cappuccino. You know, I that's that's about the right ratio for me. So if if uh, if I'm you know I'm looking to try something, that's kind of where I go. I like, I mean, in some cases, like for us, we we just offer batch brew. And if that's all they have, it may, it may try that as well. So I, I would say it's usually within the, those particular options. I don't, though I'm really happy about all of the kind of signature different espresso or cold brew drinks that we've, we've kind of created and curated at, at the shop. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm pretty much simple. You know, it's, I like a good pulled shot of espresso and some good quality milk. And if I can get that, I'm, I'm happy. If you could give one piece of kind of coffee advice to customers or to people who are kind of starting their coffee journey for the first time, what would it be? Which I know is kind of a big, broad question, but if there was something that you wish you would have known about coffee when you got started or just an idea about when you go to a coffee shop, it can be overwhelming if you haven't been a coffee drinker before. You know, what would that advice be if somebody were coming into camp coffee? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think when, if I think about conversations that I've had with my own customers that come in, you know, it's, it's trying to like navigate what is the language that people respond to when they're trying to decide, for example, what type of coffee that they like. And I would say, first of all, what I've realized is the more that I've learned or think that I learned, the less that I actually know. And, you know, as, as just like probably any industry is as in specialty coffee, I mean, it just things just continue to broaden and there's different rabbit holes to go down, which I know, you know, there's things that you are probably exploring that is within that rabbit hole. But for me, it's, it's a matter of kind of starting with, you know, trying to find something that you like and then kind of going from there. And it always kind of goes back to, okay, so, you know, what is the roast you like? And, you know, do you like something lighter or darker? And sometimes even people don't respond to that because if I give you like bird rock, our, if you're used to drinking, a dart, like a pizza or a Starbucks French roast, that's nothing in the wheelhouse of, of like bird rock. Bird rock is, is a medium roast. Um, and so it's very subjective. So I think one is be cautious kind of, of like going into something that, you know, one, one piece of information will translate, you know, from one place to another. So I think kind of staying open and staying curious always, and probably just like with anything else that you may be learning about, um, be, you know, be a little cautious to where your source is at. So I think that's one is just kind of stay open to it. But I think the other thing is, you know, I still love this is, hey, your coffee is going to taste different, really three main categories, right? You know, where the coffee grows in the world, how that coffee is is processed, you know, how you remove that seed from the fruit, and then how it roasts. And all those things kind of come together in this formula. And there's so many different combinations but those are kind of, if you can understand kind of the big rocks, you can kind of steer yourself around and navigate to you know, probably the things that you like and maybe avoiding the things that maybe you don't like. I think it's really incredible looking at the coffee industry. If you gave 10 coffee shops the exact same Bird Rock coffee and asked them to make a cup of coffee, you could get 10 different tasting cups of coffee based on just how they handle it. Yeah. Uh, and then take that back a step and start talking about all the different roasteries that are getting the same beans from maybe the same importer 
or the same, you know, roastery originally and how they roast those green beans. And, and each one could, is going to have its own little unique variations, you know, even somebody who's testing uh, new roasts on a sample roaster at one pound, well, that, that roast isn't quite going to be the same as their larger, you know, five or 10 or 20 pound roast. So it's a really, it's just such an, uh, an interesting thing that you could never really be an, you could never really know all there is to know, uh, which, which you've certainly addressed. Is there anything that we didn't cover about camp coffee or that I didn't ask that you want listeners to know about? I mean, one is I, you know, um, it's a good question. I mean, of course I would, I want to invite people to come and come and visit us. That's one, <laughs> you know, I, uh, you know, I, I think one of the, I tell you, I tell you one thing that I think is, is fun. And what I, what I like is, and then right before the pandemic, we participated in, in one of the, the coffee crawl, you know, organizations. And I remember how fun that was. And I, I remember when I was in Seattle, I used to, when people would come to visit me in Seattle, you know, it was one of the things they wanted good coffee. And, you know, I, I remember I'd always be so excited about like crafting, like, a little like map of where they could go and experience it. And I think that's one thing is, is, you know, having people kind of step outside of, you know, of maybe what, what they're, you know, used to and, you know, trying different places. I, you know, as the year and a half that we've been in Oceanside, we've had coffee shops that have come coffee shops that have gone and more that are on their way. And each one, you know, kind of has its own kind of own, personality, you know, both in the staff or the experience they're trying to, to curate as well as the coffee. And so for me, I mean, come up to Oceanside, if you haven't been up to Oceanside or even North County, you know, there's so many great shops to come and visit and experience and, and appreciate for what each one has to, to offer. So, I mean, I think that's, that's one is, you know, we continue to talk about supporting small business and I think, you know, getting some friends together and doing your own little, little coffee crawl, those, those things are super fun. And that's where you can literally compare and kind of contrast all in one day. And when I have friends come to visit me from Seattle, that's, that's something that, you know, we were, I was doing, you know, prior to a year ago and it was just, it was such a good time. And I think as a business owner, you know, kind of having the time to step away and be able to connect, you know, with different shops and what they have to offer, you know, to me, that's really, that's really cool. Uh, the other thing is it allows you to make connections with those other small businesses and other coffee shops. And that's actually one of the things that I'm looking forward to in the future is, is trying to be a part of and strengthen like the community of coffee itself, whether it be, you know, Oceanside or North County coastal or San Diego itself. Cause I, I think, you know, it's just, we are one big community anyway. And that's, that to me is something that's really exciting. So, you know, that, I think I would just leave it at that, you know, if you haven't been to Body Camp Coffee, come by. My braces will definitely help you know create you find you something that maybe is interesting, um, something that's maybe different, um, something that's fun, and you know, hit a couple other shops while you're out visiting. And your location right there in the heart of of Oceanside, and I'll put the address and a little map in uh, in with the the show notes for anyone that's uh, wanting to find it. Even that area is is changing so much so quickly. I live you know, five, six miles away. But every time I go up there, it's different. And I almost have to kind of get turned around and figure out where I am because there's a new business or a new building or a new hotel or a new something uh, going on down there. And also one really nice thing about where you're located is if 
uh, Camp Coffee is your last coffee stop of the day, there's at least two or three uh, local breweries within walking distance. So you can uh, you can have your coffee in the morning and all of a sudden it's lunchtime and you can have a beer to come down. Absolutely. And Jason, I, I really appreciate you taking some time to join the show today and um, congratulations on surviving. I mean that very seriously. That's not, not as tongue in cheek as maybe I used to because of the pandemic, but uh, it's a great achievement just getting open and then um, and doing all the things that you've done. So I, I certainly congratulate you on that. Well, thank you. I really do appreciate it. I know you mentioned this, that uh, you've been featuring roasters. So um, including us in, in your your show of a coffee shop, you know, that's a non, non-roaster uh, really means a lot. I appreciate it for sure. Uh, I haven't participated in any other podcasts. <laughs> so it was, a lot of fun. it was a lot of fun. Hey everyone, this is Cody from San Diego's first and longest running local beer podcast, Beer Night in San Diego. If you love the local beer community, check out Beer Night in San Diego, available everywhere podcasts are found. Each and every week we bring you great local beer discussion, beer education, news, and tons more with a touch of comedy. Check out Beer Night in San Diego to laugh and learn with us. And back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. The advice Jason gave us at the end about language in coffee shops often being the same, but with differing results, is something I've thought a lot about. When I say dark roast, what does that mean to you? Do you see the same color blue that I do? It's an important thing to keep in mind when we make choices about the coffee we drink. We've created a common language around coffee, and we even talked about that being the goal of the Q Grader program last week but that doesn't mean we all understand the nuances the same way. That's true of a lot of things in life. We are always hearing that we should open ourselves up to new things, new experiences, new coffee flavors. But I think what I'm taking from Jason's advice is to consider trying the same things and just letting myself view them in a different way. Free your mind. All credit for that quote to En Vogue and to Columbia House for sending me En Vogue's Funky Divas album in 1992. Near the end of the show, Jason also mentioned batch brewing, which is our first vocab phrase today. Batch brew is just what it sounds like in that it is a larger quantity of coffee brewed in a machine, the concept being that it is like brewing a pour-over at scale, with hot water draining through a filter full of ground coffee and being collected in a container or coffee pot. Batch brewing used to be associated with a lesser quality of coffee, but that has long since been rectified. It is now a common and effectively efficient way to brew a lot of really good coffee, really consistently. With upgrades to the tech incorporated in commercial batch brewing machines that control temperature, pressure, or even water flow rates, the new machines can eliminate most, if not all, human errors. Some even incorporate grinders. Our second word from the show today is percolator. Jason talked about remembering the sound of the percolator from camping trips as a kid. Percolators were really popular types of coffee pot brewers in the 1960s and 70s, but they have been seen less and sold less since the advent of automated countertop coffee machines. Cut a percolator in half and it looks like a reverse French press. Water sits in the bottom of the pot and ground coffee is put into a chamber at the top. When the pot is put on the stove or if it has an integrated electric heating coil, the water at the very bottom will start to heat up first 
and as it gets closer to boiling, it'll push its way up through a tube. Enough water gets heated and it reaches the top where it pours over the coffee grounds and drips back down into the cooler water below, mixing with the remaining water. The process will repeat itself several times until the water is boiling, at which point the pot will begin perking, which is kind of a unique sound. It sounds like a mixture of light hail and slurping water and popcorn popping. If you had one in your home growing up, you'll likely remember it. And I'll post a diagram of the inside of the percolator on roastwestcoast.com, and the whole process will make sense if my explanation hasn't been doing it. Be sure to follow at WeAreCampCoffee on Instagram. Even if you're not in Oceanside, their Instagram is a great combination of the joy people get from coffee, the coffee community, and the street photography from Will Lefevre. To everyone who's been out advocating for this show, I continue to thank you. Feel free to shout at me anytime on RoastWestCoast.com, in the Roast West Coast Facebook group community, or on Instagram, at RoastWestCoast. Let me know what you're liking and not liking about the show, who your favorite roasters are, or who would make for a great guest. We're in week seven of season two, and we've only just begun our Grey's Anatomy-like run of success. 20 seasons from now, you can tell all of your friends you were listening before it was cool. Actually, scratch that. Don't wait that long. Telling a friend about the Roast West Coast Coffee podcast is a great way to support the show. It goes a long way towards being able to grow this program, and if you are enjoying the pod, check out the newsletter. Sign up for the free one or consider the paid subscription to show your appreciation for this type of coffee content. Either way, I appreciate that you're out there, that you're listening. If you need some coffee, don't forget to check out the show industry legacy partners, Marea Coffee, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Steady State Roasting, Cafe La Terre, Coffee Cycle, and Mostra Coffee. They are some of the best coffee roasters and cafes in Southern California. And a big thanks to Cape Horn Coffee and First Light Whiskey for making my afternoons pretty nice too. You'll find links to all of the show's Roast Industry Legacy Partners on the front of RoastWestCoast.com or in this episode's show notes, wherever you happen to be listening. That is one more show in the books, everyone. Thank you all for listening today. Roast West Coast will be back on Friday with a new episode of Coffee Smarter and our very busy coffee expert, Siri Simran Kulsa the executive director of coffee at Lofty Coffee Company. She and the Lofty team just opened their sixth cafe this week in downtown Carlsbad Village. A huge congrats to the Lofty team. On that show, Siri and I will talk about the different types of coffee bean roasters and how they work through the alchemy of creating a good coffee blend. This episode of the Roast West Coast podcast was written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through another day. And please, always be sure to drink good coffee.